Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. I started a sermon series, Spiritual Sight and Insight. What does it mean to see in the spirit and according to the order of God, according to the way that is given us through truth. And I shared quite a lot. We took our reading from John, uh, the ninth chapter, of a gentleman who was born blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus Christ, uh, what caused this blindness? Uh, did he sin or did his parents sin? Of course, silly question. How could he have sinned if he was blind from his mother's womb? Uh, but anyway, long and short, Jesus says that this man... Uh, was blind that the works of God should be made manifest. And uh, Jesus heals that man. Uh, he goes and uh, he washes his eyes in the pool of Shiloh, meaning scent, and the man's eyesight is given. And so, of course, it disturbs certain Pharisees. Why? Because Jesus has done a miracle on the Sabbath. But the spirit of religion has long forgotten that this miracle had never been seen in the history of mankind before. In fact, it is clear even in scripture in John 9.32, since the world began, was it not hard that any man had opened eyes from one that was born blind? So there's something that blinds the religious people of that time to miss a very notable revelation of the hour. And they choose to persecute the Son of God by reason of the fact that the miracle had been done on the Sabbath. How so much were given into shadows and we miss the substance which is Christ. And because of that we cannot hear the way we are supposed to hear. But anyway, as we transverse through these scriptures in the 39th verse, of course we go into the point where Jesus says to them, for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And I'm going to come to that a bit. And so I explained what that means, and I gave us three realms of vision. One of the realms of vision is the vision of God, that everybody must be able to see God. And I taught about uh, the realm of truth and revelation, how everybody has to be able to behold God in truth and revelation. And I also talked about the realm of your personal weights, how you weigh in the spirit realm, that God needs not to write on the wall that you're weighed and found wanting because you're not persuaded of your weight. Because Paul tells us of this weight, that of the rule, the measure we reach men. He tells us how we ought not to exercise ourselves or stretch ourselves beyond the measure with which has been given us and to know how to build this measure in God because that is the definition of your crown, your sphere of influence in the spirit realm, and that translates to how much influence you will have in the physical realm. 
So today I continue, mostly emphasizing on John chapter 9, 39, in the second part of spiritual sight or insight. And so Jesus makes a very, very powerful, powerful statement, declaration. He says, for judgment I come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And we carry this from the Pharisees, which had assumed that they had understanding of a thing that they actually had no understanding of. And for such, they were proven blind in a time when they assumed to be leaders of men and them which had vision. And at that particular time, a certain man's eyes were actually open. So we want to talk about this allegory of how with the Christ, they which see not, the Bible says, are given sight to see, and they which see are made blind. You'll ask yourself, what does that mean? What is the meaning of that? Why would Jesus make a man which sees not to see? And why would Jesus make a man which does not see to see? I thought he intends that all men see. So why is he then putting blindness on the one which sees? And I'll explain that to tell you that there are two ways of sight, two ways of vision. Okay? You can see through the right vision, which is of God, and you can see through the wrong light, a divergent light, a conflicting light, an ungodly way of vision. And so he's saying that he has come to help those which see the wrong way, blind, from the true way, so their eyes will be open to see. And those which claim to be seeing, yet they don't see, that he will prove them blind, so he will create the space in their hearts of conviction to see. In the Acts chapter 9, a story is given of Saul, of Tarsus Cilicia. We all know the story of how he's born in Tarsus, and then he's raised by Gamaliel, a great teacher of the law, and Paul being a son of a Pharisee, it is incumbent, it's the responsibility of the father to make sure that the son is raised up in the way of the fathers, and which was the teaching of Judaism. And through that, because the Judistic teaching of that hour had a certain vision in which it beheld God, we now see by the word that they were actually blind, but they did not know that they were blind. And because they did not know that they were blind, when Jesus comes, they are blind from the coming of the Son of God. They cannot believe in their hearts that actually the Christ is come in the flesh. Jesus leaves all his hearts full time to the end, and they do not know that he's actually among them. And yet they behold the Torah. They behold the scripts of the fathers. They understand the principles of Moses and the ways of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at least in their own understanding of things. So they claim a space where they should know better because they have kept the oracles as we know them. They were stewards of oracles. It was believed that they understood the mysteries of all human existence and the God that we know of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they are blind from the reality of the Christ that is set before him. And so, because of that, when the Christ is dead, 
and raised to glory. He gives gifts. The church uh, is built as we know it. The power of God is flowing. And then we see a continuous persecution. A more serious persecution for the church by the group uh, of the judistic teaching against the children of God then because they have a problem in believing that actually the Christ is coming in the flesh as according to the judistic creed. They believe in that coming later, but they don't believe in the fact that he walked the surface of this earth. Many of them of that time did not believe. And so, because of that, they have a problem with anybody assuming that Christ is come in the flesh. Because they only understand Moses. And so, Paul being ahead of his peers, the scriptures tell us he was better in the way uh, of their teaching than all his peers. So, he understood the law, he understood the Torah, he understood Judaism as we know it. And because he was above all his equals, he should be of all men most fervent and zealous exceedingly to protect the traditions of the fathers of that time. And what happens in Acts chapter 9 verses 1, from then on we have an event that happens in history, you know, giving us something for us to connect to. So Saul then was Saul. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And he went unto the high priest then and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, now underline again the space of this way, that if he found any believers of this way, like I said, there are two ways to see. So there were people who were seeing a certain way. And Paul also was seeing a certain way. And so he desires to have and attack and destroy those that were found in any of this particular way. In fact, later on, when you read in Acts chapter 22, he speaks of how he says in his own words, he says, I persecuted the people of this way, binding them and leading them to death. I persecuted the people of this way. You know, they were delivered in prisons, men and women, they were killed. But he emphasizes people of this way. I persecuted this way. So there's a way of vision. So it depends on which way a man sees things. We can all read the Bible and one man sees another way of things. That's why when Jesus Christ is warning us of these things, we let us see them in the life of Paul. He's teaching about the grace message. And we hear men saying in Romans 3.8, some say that we say that let us do evil. They affirm it that we say that let us do evil so good should come whose damnation is just. There are people who sat in the meeting of Paul and they had Paul actually telling people, let us do evil, let us do sin. The problem was not the teaching of Paul, no. The problem was the way in which they saw the things Paul was teaching because of the foundations from which they see. So when we see this emphasis of how Paul desires of letters to go to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem, you know, for punishment and stuff. So the Bible tells us, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. A light comes. It was midday, but the light fell on him, which means it was brighter than the sun. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? So he knows that this is God. At least he can be dumb, but not dumb enough to discern that this is God. So he asks him, Who are you, my Lord? And the Bible says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick 
against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told unto thee what you must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, because they were hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And so then, the Bible says, arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, listen, he saw no man. That means immediately when he has an encounter of this bright light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one which claims to see and above his equals becomes blind immediately. When he opens his eyes, the Bible says he saw no man. He saw nothing, yet there were people around him. That means this man's soul was stricken blind. So do you understand what he says? That I'm come to make them which see not that they might have sight, and they which see that they might become blind. When we analyze and assess this group of them which claim to see the right way, they claim to see the right way, but they actually don't see, and God comes to strike blindness on them. See, the heart of God there is for redemption, that he might actually give them true sight. And Saul of Tarsus is an example. He's the true example of the heart of God in this. So don't think that it is a space of judging wrongly. No, when Jesus speaks of how this is his judgment, I want you to understand the judgments of God in, in that account. That the judgments of God are there to help the man which sees not to see, and the man which claims to see to become blind that he might actually require or desire true sight. See, all of this is inviting the spaces of redemption and love for mankind. It's not for destruction. And I want you to see, Saul was not destroyed for the persecutions, but he was there when they were stoning the beloved saints. He saw these things. He supported the work of destroying anybody that was against the faith of that time. But here it is now, the man that persecutes people, Jesus comes with a bright light and it strikes him. And the moment he's up, the Bible says he cannot see when his eyes were opened. And so they laid him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he spent three days without sight and neither did he eat nor drink. Why? How do you eat? Like how does it even make sense that you've been stricken blind by God? Okay? And the scriptures tell us in that same time in his three days of blindness, a certain disciple at Damascus called Ananias had an encounter, a vision of the Lord and the Lord tells him, go into the street called Straight, inquire of the house of Judas, one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive sight. And so God is amazing that he gets this man three days, and the only vision that he can have, yet with blindness in his eyes, is the vision of the man with whom the Lord has anointed to deliver him. I wish people understand the way of the Spirit. I mean, why didn't Jesus begin from there and then hold this man's hand and then open his eyes and speak to him? No, because by the principles and patterns of the Spirit, God has set certain men or women with the answer to open the eyes of those that are blind. And that's just how God does it. It's not new. If you read the Bible, you will see God doing certain things of such matter. When he appeared to Samuel and called him. Why did the voice of God sound like the voice of Eli? You mean God did not know how to give another voice? You mean from then on God speaks like Eli? No, he didn't speak like Eli, but he respected the order of the authority 
over Samuel that if he was to speak, he was not going to come to Samuel any other way. Because at the end of the day, the other instruction cannot come directly to Samuel without going through the man God has ordained for him to receive instruction. And that is why it's very, very imperative for believers to respect and understand the order of submission and accountability in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about this submission and accountability, the furthering thing that is controlling and destroying lives and manipulating men until they start to feel that they are not serving God but serving man. I'm talking about a true order of the spirit of fatherhood, of submission and accountability that is respected even in Christ, that even in the time of the transition of soul, the conversions of soul, the experiences of soul, God has to bring a man and give him a certain vision of soul, even as soul receives a vision of a man coming to him. And the scriptures tell us, and uh, Ananias had God, and he said, but this man has done people much evil. He has destroyed the church. He has killed people. And the Bible tells us, the Lord tells him, go your way, for he is a chosen vessel and to me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for his name's sake. Long and short, Alenius comes, lays hands on this man, Paul, Saul then. Arise, he says, for the Lord has appeared unto you, he's revealed himself to you, that you might become a minister and witness of those things. The Bible says that he has showed you and in the things in which he shall appear unto you. And then the commissioning of this man comes, his eyes open. So Ananias does not just come to open the physical eyes of Paul, but he comes to set him on a course from then on, a new course and a new way of seeing things. So what we see was the physical eyes open. But what people don't see, many, is that something happened in the spiritual realm for Saul. When Ananias is laying hands on Saul, he's not just laying hands on him for physical sight. No. There's an impartation on the authority of this great apostle to both open not only the physical eyes, but the spiritual eyes of this man as well. Visions were starting to happen. But there was no clarity of this purpose. And God sends a man to give the full account of this clarity and purpose. So when physical eyes are open, something is happening also in the impartation of this prayer for the spiritual as well. And before we know it, Saul, my Paul, now becomes a minister of the gospel. He obtains that ministry. And in his own words, he says, and to whom I'm least of all saints, was given unto me. This great responsibility, this great fellowship, this great power, this great ability that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. So he knows that the point of all deliverance and translation from darkness to light True transformation comes when a man is given sight. When a man is given sight. To make all men see. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Not physical sight. Spiritual sight. So there are two kinds of things to see. That's why I said when I'm talking about spiritual sight, it's more than just the gift of the seer. And I mentioned it in the first part. You can listen to it. For you to understand this. Because, for example, somebody can see, I have been graced by God to see, I see in the spirit. If you've known me for years or seen my videos, you'd know I see. But it's more than that. 
Although many people are excited by that, but that's not it. There's greater things to see. But we see the conversation shifting, not from the seer which sees to the responsibility of one which can cause men to see. So the power of spiritual sight, when we're talking about the New Testament dispensation, we're talking about not only the ability to be able to have sight, but also your ability to be able to cause men to see. Yes, some people see, but they cannot cause other people to see. What makes you a minister, whether you are an apostle, whether you're a pastor, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're a prophet, whether you're a preacher, regardless of how you come, it does not end in the ability of your gifting, but it goes into the impartations of the Spirit as you create true patterns for imitations of the Spirit, that men might go wherever you go, that they might see wherever you see. It can only be leading when you can take men where you have been, and that by the Spirit they can see the way there. So yes, we talk about the Word of God being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, but where does that path go? And where are the feet treading? They're treading in the right way. So when the Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody gets to the Father, except through me, that's the emphasis. He's trying to say that there is a way to see by me. There is a way to understand by me. There is a way to receive vision by me. And there is a way to see by darkness. And there is a way to understand by darkness. And there is a way to reveal by darkness. That is why today, we are trying now to find the difference between the true prophetic and divination or fortune telling. Fortune telling. Because many of our young men who are dreaming or women who are dreaming to see or who actually were called by God to see, it doesn't change the fact that they're actually called of God to see. Many of them have had divergent interpretations of the things of the Spirit. And some, even in the most innocent sense of the prophetic, have translated into yielding to familiar spirits because they are lusting to see. The Bible calls it the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. When talking about the lust of the eyes, it's not just a man looking at a woman lustfully or a woman looking at a man lustfully. No. But it goes back into the other things that you can lust for spiritually without even knowing. That feeling of missing out of a thing that creates a restlessness and anxiety in you not because you are really truly burdened by God to see, but because you are so stirred by your carnal self to see. And because of that, you find yourself lusting in the places where you must be truly hungering. And you find yourself forcing yourself into realms where you are only supposed to be invited by the Holy Spirit because you don't understand the responsibility of the liberties with which we have in Christ. And I know that not many understand what I'm saying. <laughs> not many. The Lord told me something years ago, and he said, some of the things you speak, or you will speak, or I'll show you and reveal to you, not many of your time will be able to understand them. But because they live and stay, 10, 20, 30 years, these things will become clearer they'll become clearer. And so, all I need to do is stay faithful to what the Lord is revealing, however complicated it could be. There are many people also in this site that understand this complicatedness of things. They understand the complications 
of things and they can connect in their own way. The first one time as I started preaching these messages, one man sat me down and told me, you are so ambiguous, unclear in your ministry that you're not going to go far. And it, it confused me. But later as I grew, I realized, no, it was the way with which he saw the things I was sharing. And that's why some of you, when you begin listening to me at first, things might be complicated. But in your heart, you feel it's true. In your heart, you feel that I'm preaching the truth. But over time, as you continue to listen, you connect. And when you connect, you can actually see as I'm speaking. Your eyes open as I'm speaking. And now you start to be strange. And they became 100, they became 5,000, they became 10,000. Now there are hundreds of thousands that are listening across the world. And I realize that I'm not as strange. There are people who see the things that I'm speaking. Because the ardent ministry of the gospel, whether you're pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, we are perfecting the saints for the work of ministry to the edification of the body. The body is only as edified as men are prepared for ministry, not just stirred into excitement. And if we have the responsibility of preparing men for ministry, one of the most fundamental responsibilities is to make them see. The price is in opening eyes. It's not just in seeing only. It doesn't end with your vision, pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher, seer. No. The true space of responsibility, the thing that calls you and invites, the thing that compels you to the minister is when men start to see because you see. Remember, that's why Jesus emphasizes that if the blind lead the blind, then they fall in a ditch. But who knows that they're blind? Who actually understands that they're blind? That's why when we emphasize the spaces of the true measure, your true weight in the spirit, it is the consciousness of your true self, your true merit. It's the place of your true placing in the spirit, your true appointment in the timings of the spirit and the boundaries of habitation in the spirit realm. A true estimate of the self. It's what breaks a man before God to say, God, you know, I have realized that I don't really see like I really should see. Yet I have claimed to see. But pride does all that. It covers us from right vision. Anyway, so we see the example of Paul, Saul, receiving sight and the responsibility of that to the world. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the only thing that defines the two ways. The way that sees through darkness and the way that sees through light. The way that sees through darkness does not carry responsibility beyond the self. The way that sees through light carries responsibility to multiply itself in the graces that have been given. But even deeper than that, and I'm going to go deeper, that is where we understand persecution from. You can never and will never be truly persecuted or really persecuted unless you have caused men to see. You see, we go back to the story of John chapter 9 of the blind man. The scriptures tell us that it's from the point when the man sees that something in the Pharisees awakened. Something in the Pharisees awakened. 
And that thing is cast vision on Sabbath. Not the miracle of the Son of God. And people don't understand just how big this is. Well, I'll take you to Acts. You know the story in Acts 16, from about the 16th verse. The story tells us of Paul, Silas, they were going to pray. And a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met them, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. And I have always emphasized that the true spirit of the prophetic does not seek to bring gain to the man. And when I'm talking about gain, I'm talking about either financial or exaltation of the man or woman which sees. When you see exaltation of the man or woman which sees or that spirit seeking, I'm not talking about being given, I'm talking about it seeking or creating atmosphere and avenues in its own systems to seek reward, gain, physical mammon and, you know, praises. There's something wrong with it. Again, like I said, the spirit of prophecy is the testament of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus Christ. The Son of God came to serve and not be served. You must understand. He is with the drunkards. He is with the sinners. He's in the marketplaces. He's not up there. No, he's down with the people. Because that's the spirit. That's the spirit. So again, those with sight understand what I'm saying. So anyway, back to the story. So a girl has divination, spirit of Apollos. And because of that, the Bible says she brought her master's much gain through soothsaying. And the biggest shocker of divination and the soothsayer is that it is speaking truth in this account. The same girl followed Paul and Silas and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. What a truth. What a truth. So again, depending on where you see it from, some people think that the diviner can only speak deception. No. The diviner can speak truth, but with false intentions, with a false understanding, with a false spirit, with falsehood in spirit. It's possible for the spirit of divination or another spirit, which is not of God, to speak truth, but with a bed and foundation of falsehood or deception. It's falsehood, but on the foundation of being false or deceiving, it can speak truth. And it only takes the true vision. And God is, is showing us here that even though this girl was a diviner, she was speaking, you know, things and she was bringing her master's much gain. The men of God actually see that this girl was possessed and under the torment and use and manipulation of the devil. She was under the torment and manipulation and destruction of the devil. There was a problem with this girl. But the people of that time did not know that there was actually a problem. See how two people see things differently. Paul and Silas see something wrong with this. And there's another group of people who are seeing a prophetess. And she's speaking the truth. This cannot only come from darkness. It can only come from God. So they would say. So in present day church actually, we have many diviners, many soothsayers, many fortune tellers and they're sitting in the office of the prophet. But the Lord told me that 
It's for a short time. It's for a short time. Something is going to happen in the world. It began some time back, but in small rumblings. But something's going to happen. And a certain way is going to be exposed, sadly. And my fear is that we could lose these people. Why? Because they are originally called by God. But by last some inclining to another way of vision, instead of staying true. I have not seen this once or twice. But it's coming. And one day somebody will dig up this someone. So anyway, we see the man of God casting out a devil uh, from this young girl. I believe at that particular point, the damsel was blinded. At that particular point, that young girl stopped to see the things she was seeing. It does not mean that in her was not a calling. No, it only means that Satan used that calling and exploited it for darkness. And if true deliverance had to take place, immediately something had to be dealt with the eye in her that could see. So they cast out the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. And it came out of her that same hour. And when our masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers and brought them to the magistrates. Now, I you listen. They say, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. Now, listen. These, these are men who are feeding from a spirit of falsehood and deception. These are accusing Paul and Silas. Men of God. They're accusing men of God that they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. They also have an opinion on true teaching. And the Bible tells us, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes, and they were beaten. And they laid many stripes upon them. They were cast into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safe. Why is Paul and Silas being beaten, persecuted, thrown into jail? Because they blinded the eyes of a girl who was seeing the wrong way. That the end of that redemption is that that girl would receive the true sight of the Spirit. The intention was that she would receive true sight. But she could not receive true sight except by firstly blinding her from the sight that she had being used and possessed by devils. Oh, they speak. And oh, they are accurate. And oh, they can also be true. But only under a certain foundation of falsehood. So anyway, they are cast into prison. And as God would have it, at midnight, Paul and Silas start praising God. They don't have a problem. Because the act of blinding this girl was actually true deliverance as God was expressing love to set free this girl from being used by men who were not interested in anything except profit, profit, profit. Long and short, midnight as they prayed and they were praising God, the Bible says there was a great earthquake. And this is how God comes through. There was a the great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he wanted to kill himself because the people that they had entrusted him to keep were gone. So what was he going to explain? So he says, you know, let me commit suicide. And as true as the stability of the spirit is, 
The Holy Spirit has instructed Paul and Silas, stay in this jail in spite of the fact that I have shaken the foundations and earthquake has opened these doors and the bands are loosed. Stay in this jail. The Holy Spirit is amazing. There's a shaking and the bands are loosed. Prison is open. You could think that they were supposed to walk out immediately and go their way. But the Spirit tells them, uh-uh, stay. Don't leave this. I don't want to bring you out this way because Satan began this. I want to finish it a certain way. So guess what? The Bible says the keeper of the prison, when he's going to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had fled, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not do yourself harm for we are all here. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to get saved? That's another man's eye open. God doesn't want to finish it by getting Paul and Silas out of prison to walk free. No, he's saying, you blinded one to open her eyes to the true light. And they put you in prison. Persecution came. Let me, with that persecution, continue to open eyes. And before we know it, the prison guard is asking, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy household. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. God has extended vision, not only to the prison guard, he has also gone into the household of that man, whether there were 20 or 30 or 15 people, we do not know. But what we know is that the gospel is preached even into the household, and vision is given further. So, and I want to show you that in the midst of this persecution, if one is persecuted for either blinding, the one that he has to blind to give sight or for giving sight to the one which knows they are blind. And persecution should come. God can only multiply that ability and open more doors for you to open more eyes. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So that's why persecution is a badge of honor. It's not something we whip over, oh God, why are they persecuting? You know, it's something we celebrate when you're a true minister of the Spirit. If you know that you're true, you never worry about persecution. It only opens up more opportunities to continue giving sight. So, the scriptures tell us that same hour, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. 33, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized and all his straight away. So, the whole house was baptized. And when he had brought them into the house, he set them before to eat meat and they rejoiced, believing in the God with all his house. When it was day in the morning, the magistrates sent sergeants saying, release those men. Like, what happened between arrest them to next day release them? Let me tell you what happened. Satan arrests these two thinking that he can bar them, he can refuse them, he can discourage them, he can cause despair in their hearts and frustrate their ministry of dealing with sight. And guess what? God, through those prisoners and the prison guard, God ministers to the prison guard and his household and they all receive sight. And so what Satan was intending has actually not happened. He intended that these guys should be held in prison so they'd not continue opening eyes or blinding those that must be blinded to see. They end anyway seeing. And God does the most humorous thing. He opens the eye of the guy who... He's watching over them in prison. He goes into the household of that guy. And then he imagines if this thing continues, perhaps the guard is going to call his friend. And then his friend's household is also going to be translated. And all his groups and these miracles are going to spread. What does he do? Release them. 
Because they don't know what to do with them. So Satan's first impression is release them. Because if this continues this way, and this testimony continues moving, more people are going to receive sight. And now the Bible tells us, and the keeper of the prison told them, you're free to go. The magistrates have let you go. Now Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly, condemned us, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. Now do they thrust us out privately. Why is it privately? Because they don't want even this testimony to be known. As true as these men of God are, Paul tells them, let them come and fetch us. Take us out openly when everyone is seeing. Because questions will be asked. Should be asked. Why did they do this? Again, that account will come through. And many more people's sight will be given. So the scriptures tell us, when the sergeants had told these words unto the magistrates, they feared when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. Da, 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 da. The ones that had arrested now sit at the masses of the men of God to be forgiven. Because it doesn't matter how you persecute this way, you can never kill a man or a woman who causes men to see and blinds those that assume to see so they might receive the true sight. This is the ministry of the New Testament to cause all men to see. A spiritual sight. When you are praying, yield to the true way of vision. Understand that the way the world sees is not the way we see. And every other day as you continue to read this word, when I get the opportunity once to preach about the vision of God and your weights and truth and revelation, you understand these realms too. Your eyes, will, you will start to really see. And when you start to see, the first shocker is you'll be shocked about how many men don't really see. Father, we thank you for your word. I want you to just raise your voice with your heart toward God and tell him, God, I want that full vision of you. That full understanding. For it is eternal life that we might know the one true God and his only son, Jesus Christ. And there are things that are destroying us and are being frustrating to us because we don't really see. And we cannot know unless we see. Ephesians says that the Lord God of our Lord and Savior might grant unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that your eyes being flooded with light, you will know what is the hope of your calling, what are the glorious riches of inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of power that is at work within you which believe. But all of this happens when you know, and that knowledge comes by the illumination of our spirits, the awakening of ourselves to God. So my prayer for you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus is that with all wisdom and understanding, in the knowledge of God, may your eyes be flooded with vision that you will see as you truly ought to see and that I frustrate any vision that you have held, celebrated, appreciated, received, connected to, if it is not of God, 
its power, influence, possession, and conflict over your life is frustrated. It is destroyed in Jesus' mighty name. May you see God as you ought to see him. May you keep an ever clear and accurate vision of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I decree and I declare that as you see, things will become beautiful. As you see, things will become easier. As you see, things will change. As you see, you will be truly transformed and walk in the liberties, the deliverance, the healing, the graces, the victories that God has ordained for you. And that as your eyes see, as Paul has promised in Ephesians, by God, you will see power in your life like you have never seen before. You will not just be a receiver of power and glory, but you will be a participant in demonstrating glory as you exist in this earth, as you live and walk in this life of men. You will demonstrate God. You will show men light. You will reveal God even as he's revealed to you in ways that are beyond. And as you do that, the minister will be seen. Your ministry will be defined. You might not be a preacher like me, but whatever God has given you, may you give men sight. In Jesus' mighty name, we prayed and believed. Amen. If you're sick in your body, I speak healing right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I decree that from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, you are healed. In Jesus' mighty name, I know that I'm going to hear a testimony. And if you're there and you've not given your life to Christ, I cannot close this broadcast. Anything can wait, but this cannot wait. That there is no name under the earth in heaven or that is given among men by which men should be and can be saved, said the name of Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for you. He came for you that you might receive sight, that he may give sight to you. And so I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way you have to go. And so, you're going to repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. And born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. <laughs>